I'm excited just to share with you today what I feel like the Lord has laid on my heart, and the title of my message is The Mystery. And there are some mysteries in life. For example, how did I end up getting to wear a t-shirt on Easter Sunday? Like that is, thank you Jesus for whoever decided we needed to wear t-shirts on the platform today. Come on, I'm excited about that, because if you know me... I mean, most of the time on Easter, you have to wear a suit or a button-up or something. If you know me, my standard issue attire is jeans and a t-shirt. And so, I'm thankful. That's a mystery that I'm not sure how it happened, but I'm pumped to be here this morning. I'm feeling cool today in my t-shirt. Many years ago, there was a truth that was expressed to me, and I checked it out, and it's right. Mr. Ronnie Weiss is perhaps one of the wisest people you'll ever meet, and if you don't know who Ronnie is, you're missing it. He told me a while back, he said, hey, look, all my equipment's breaking down on the farm, and every time I go to the shop, they say, well, it's no big deal. You can get it fixed. It's only $700. And so he said, yeah, $700 here, $700 there. Well, I figured out something else that also costs $700 per trip. Every time you go to Lowe's when you're remodeling a house, it's going to be $700. So if you want to remodel a house and you want to figure out how much it's going to cost to remodel that house, figure out how many trips you're going to take to Lowe's times 700, and that's how much money you need. I don't know how they do it. I don't know how they figure it out, but it is $700 every time you walk through the doors. And so Charity's like, hey, let's go to Lowe's. I'm like, no, let's not do that because I want to eat this month, right? $700. I had a guy tell me one time, he's like, that's how Walmart figures up how they're going to make their revenue. They buy bags, they times it by $20, and that's how much revenue they're going to make. And I thought, well, that's weird. That's not true. I went to Walmart, counted the bags in the basket, looked at my total. I kid you not, it was within a few dollars of being $20 a bag. Now, that was like 10 years ago. Now, it's more like $35 a bag. But you think I'm kidding. You go to Walmart, you look at your receipt, you look at the bags, and I bet it's within a few dollars of being $20 to $30 a bag. How do they do that? That's a mystery to me. That's a weird thing that I just can't seem to solve. You know, there's some CEO sitting around right now on an island saying, I figured out $20 a bag, baby, and I'm out here on the beach, and that sucker's over there working. The guy from Lowe's is right next to him in the cabana next to him with a little umbrella drink while I'm paying $700 every time I go through the door. Mysteries in life. There's some weird mysteries in life. Here's another one. How can small children make such a mess of the house? You know what I'm talking about? Like, they have all this stuff that they don't need anyways. They never play with it. The only time they ever touch the stuff is to drag it out of their bedroom and throw it in the middle of the living room floor so that you can look at it while you're trying to watch TV. And then you finally get the kids to clean up. You help them out because you just want the stuff out of there. You turn your back for five minutes, and the stuff is back in the middle of the room. These people are two and a half feet tall. How do they get all that crap from in there back into the living room? I don't know. It's a mystery of the universe. There's a lot of mysteries that we just can't seem to figure out. Small mysteries. Like, why is the word abbreviation so long? You know what I mean? Like, who thought that up? You know? Company ships styrofoam. What do they put it in? You know? All those little weird (laughs) mysteries that seem to mess us up. But one of the greatest mysteries of all time is the Easter story, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, Easter is the good news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that good news of Jesus doesn't make sense to the natural flesh. The good news of Jesus is a mystery to us. And today I want to spend just a few moments and talk to you about that mystery. 
Now, there's some things that we value as a church, and one of the things that we value is we believe where the Word speaks, where the Bible speaks, God speaks. We believe that this book is more than just words on paper. We believe that this is the living Word of God for us. And so today, I want to share this with you because these words will change your life. My words won't change your life. These words will change your life. And so we're going to jump into this book today. If you have your Bibles with me, you can turn with me to Ephesians chapter number 3. And we're going to start reading in verse number 14. Here's what the Word of God says. It says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with the power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth And to know the love that Christ surpasses all understanding, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far abundantly more than all we can ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now, this passage is a prayer that was written by one of the followers of Jesus Christ named Paul. He was the Apostle Paul, and the book of Ephesians was written roughly 20 years after the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This letter was written by Paul from a prison cell for preaching about the resurrection of Jesus. And in this letter, he's addressing the the gospel message and the application of that message to our lives. He's specifically in this portion of scripture, he's writing to the church and he's, he's writing a prayer. And in short, this prayer is that they would experience the resurrection of power of Christ in their innermost being. And he starts this prayer out with a very interesting uh, sentence, a very interesting statement for this reason. Those three words are really important for us to catch because what that tells us is the prayer he's about to give us is hinged upon everything he just said. Everything he said in the previous two and a half chapters go into effect with this prayer. The reason why he can say this prayer is because of everything he has talked about in the previous two and a half chapters. And here's the big idea today. You can only experience the love of God when you experience the mystery of the gospel message. Now, you might be sitting here thinking to yourself, asking some basic questions. What is this gospel message that you are speaking of? What is this good news of Jesus Christ? And these are the most important answers that you or I could ever answer in our life. The gospel message is the reason that Paul gave us in this passage that we might know the love of God. So if we're going to experience the love of God on Easter, then we have to have an understanding of the mystery of the gospel. And to understand that, we need to look at a few things that Paul said in the previous two and a half chapters. And so I want to highlight a few verses for you so that we can understand why Paul would be so bold to say that we can experience the love of Christ 
in our innermost being. Ephesians chapter 1, starting verse number 3, here's what the Apostle Paul said. He said, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly place, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Catch this. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he has set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things to him in heaven and on earth. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to his praise of his glory. You'll notice some key words in this, in, this, in this passage. Paul just starts out, and he's laying the groundwork for this mysterious gospel that we have been talking about. The mystery of the gospel is this, that without Christ, we are in our trespasses, and we are in need of forgiveness. The word gospel means the good news, and if you have good news, then that has to mean that you have some bad news, and the bad news is this, that we are all selfish, that we we were all traitorous towards God. And if we were honest today and we were to look at the course of our life, we would all admit that there were things that we've done in life that we wish we could go back and change, that we, we sinned somewhere along the way, that we've done actions that we regret. We compromised our integrity, we compromised our purity, and we compromised our loyalty to God. Now, we might not like to admit that, we, we, but we know that it's true in the core of who we are. Every person who has ever lived has sinned against God, and we've, we've experienced the, the results of that sin. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death, and in natural life, we have all seen and we've all experienced this death. In the natural life, we've experienced shame, and we've experienced guilt, the lack of identity, the confusion of purpose, the unrest of our souls, the depression and longing of our hearts, the pain, the hurt, and the natural death. These are all consequences of sin that have paid out in the life of every person who has ever lived. However, these, these consequences are so much worse than anything we can experience on earth because sin is fundamentally treason against the holy God. You'll notice that Paul said that we're lost, we're dead in our trespasses, Sin is saying that I, I know better than God, and the consequences of that is, is death, not just physical death on earth, but spiritual and eternal death in a place called hell. Hell is eternal, it's final, it's unending, and it's the punishment for sin. So, hell sounds harsh because how could a loving God do such a thing to punish sin. But what we see is this, that a just and holy God cannot allow sin to go unpunished. And this is bad news for all of us. This is bad news because there's nothing we can do to pay this debt of death that justice demands. However, what Ephesians chapter 1 tells us is that Jesus came to redeem us from our sins. 
Redeem means to exchange. We had Good Friday this last Friday. And on that day is a day that we celebrate and we remember Jesus dying on the cross. Why did Jesus die on the cross? Because in that moment, he was dying for us. There was an exchange that happened at the cross. It was a redemption that took place. His life had immense value, and he exchanged that life for our life. At the cross, redemption was, pur- was purchased. Jesus was, is, and always will be God. And Jesus came to give his fleshly life. He came to live a perfect life that we could never live. And he died a perfect death and by his blood that we might be adopted into his family. Now, that raises a whole other set of questions. Well, how, how does this work? How can, how can Jesus come in and die for our sins, save us from our sins? This, this sounds mysterious. This doesn't add up in my mind. This doesn't make a lot of sense. Well, Paul explains this to us in chapter 2 of Ephesians. I want to start reading to you in verse 1. It says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, which you once walked following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now in work as sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. Like the rest of mankind, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing. This is a gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What this verse is telling us is that when we were dead in our sins, Christ died for our sins and rose again to a new life, that when we put our faith in him, we might live as well. I love last week, I was super excited as a dad because Knox, my son, got baptized. And if you were here, you saw he was super excited. I mean, you might have thought, I don't know what you might have thought, but I'll tell you this, that his enthusiasm last Sunday was genuine. He was really excited about the opportunity to get baptized. And he kept saying over and over again this, when I come up out of the water, I'm a new man. And his nine-year-old mind, his understanding and the depth of the theology in that statement is so true. Because we know in our baptism, it's, it's representing, it's reflecting Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And what this passage is telling us is that in Christ, we are raised to new people. We are alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Spiritually speaking, when Jesus rose from the dead, we did too. We talked about this last week. When Jesus came up out of that grave on the first Easter Sunday, every single one of us who put our faith in Jesus, spiritually speaking, walked out of the grave with him. Death no longer clings to us. Death no longer has hold on us. It no longer has bondage on us. The weight of sin has been lifted off of us. How does that happen? That's mysterious to us. 
It happens because when we put our faith in Christ, when God looks at us, he sees his son. He sees Jesus' perfect life. He sees Jesus' resurrection. And we are, as this verse says, in him. We are in him. This is a gift from God. You can't earn a gift. You can't work for a gift. It has to be given to you. Now, I'm naturally a skeptical person. When somebody's offering me something too good to be true, I'm always asking the question, what's in it for you? How many skeptical people do we have in the room today? Come on. I mean, when somebody's trying to sell you on something, you just don't like it. I'm skeptical by nature. What is in it for the other person? And the crazy thing about the gospel message, perhaps the most mysterious thing about the gospel message, is that there's no strings attached. It's a free gift from God given to us. And furthermore, what this passage tells us is that there are, is blessing beyond anything that we can comprehend that, that he wants to bless us in Christ. Not only does he want to save us, it's not like we owe him. He wants to bless us additionally beyond that. It's hard to wrap your mind around. There are certain people that you go uh, and you'll encounter in life. And let's pretend you go and you share a meal together and they, they buy your lunch. And then they turn right around and try to use that as leverage later on. Like, hey, I need 20 bucks. Remember the other day I bought you lunch? I need my $20 back now. They hold the good things that they've done for you over your head. Not Christ. In him, we've been raised to a new life. In him, we have been blessed. And he holds nothing over our head. There's no strings attached. Now, this leads to even more questions. How does, how does faith in Christ right my wrong? If I say yes, does this mean that I have to become a religious nut? I mean, what, what, is all this, what does all this mean? This is mysterious for us. Easter really is a summary of the gospel message. Faith is, sin is fundamentally a lack of faith in God. A lack of faith in God lead, led us to a place where we live selfish by our own means. We wounded God, we wounded our fellow man. Christ came to earth and did the most single act of selflessness ever. And that was he paid our debt of death by his own blood. By putting our faith in Christ, we're back in relationship with God the way he intended us to be. So when Christ rose out of that tomb, he overcame death, hell, and the grave for us. And all God wants to do is be with you and with me. When we believe in Christ, we don't live for our own desires. We live to honor him. And God places our spirit inside of us. This is the gospel message that Paul has been giving for two and a half chapters. He summarizes the mystery in Ephesians 3, 6. He says, this mystery is that the Gentiles, our fellow heirs, are members of the same body and partakers of the promises of Christ Jesus through the gospel. What he's saying is that all of us are united with Christ. This is the good news. This is the reason that Paul gave us in Ephesians chapter number three, this is why he was praying over us that we would experience the love of God. Now with the gospel in our mind, let's read our opening passage again and let's see how it comes alive to us. Ephesians chapter three, verse 13, or excuse me, verse 14 says this. For this reason, I bow my knee before the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory, that he may grant you, that's you in this room, that's me, that he may grant you 
to be strengthened with the power of his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, and the height, and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we, you and me, can ask or think according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever, amen. This is the prayer that Paul was praying for you and for me, that the fact that Jesus is alive would allow us to experience the love of God. Now, there's three things in this passage I want to point out to you very quickly. There's a few things that we have to understand. First is this, because of the mystery of the gospel, we can be strengthened in our inner being. Verse 14, he says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family on heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. We read a moment ago that God seals us with the Holy Spirit, which he puts on us through faith in him. And with that seal of the riches of God's glory starts to pour into our inner being. And this glory strengthens you. What does that mean? Well, the riches of God, when he starts to dwell in you, starts to be an energizing effect to your heart and to your life. It's a pump of spiritual adrenaline inside of you that that you don't even know how to operate anymore because you're so excited. If you've ever had a vehicle and you put bad fuel inside of it, you know it just doesn't run good at all. It just spits, it sputters, it doesn't want to go anywhere, it doesn't work at all. In a lot of ways, that's what sin did to our life. It it contaminated our heart where we're not running at 100% of our full potential. But when Christ comes into our hearts, it's like putting jet fuel inside of our life. It makes us come alive. There's joy that we didn't know. There's strength that we didn't know. There's peace that we didn't know before. Before Christ, we had depression and anxiety and guilt and shame and emptiness that weakened our inner man or inner woman. The culture puts a lot of emphasis on the outer man to fix the outer man. Because if we can fix the outer man, perhaps the inner man will follow. If I just find the right husband or wife, or if I just find the right job, or if I just find the right hobby, my soul will be nourished. However, all those things are going to leave us empty. Paul's prayer is that the good news of Jesus Christ would strengthen us to our core. There's some of us in this room today that we've been walking through life, and we felt empty, and we felt broken, and we felt weak on the inside. Let me tell you something. The good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel message, can bring strength and peace to your heart. It can energize your life. When we understand that Jesus is alive and that we can have a new life, a new beginning, we can be spiritually renewed and we can be strengthened to experience that peace and that joy and that hope and that fulfillment that we all long for. So the first thing we see is that the mystery of the gospel can strengthen our inner being. The second thing is this, because of the mystery of the gospel, Christ can dwell in our hearts through faith. Verse 17 says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. This closely ties to the first point. We are strengthened in our inner beings because Christ is dwelling in our life. The prayer that Paul is praying for the believers is that that Christ would take up permanent residence as a part of their life, and that we would then be an expression that Christ is ruling our life. 
The word dwell in the original language has a, has a meaning of like a permanent dwelling. We're, as I said a moment ago, we're working on this fixer upper of a house. And so the house, the bones of it are awesome and everything, but it has like the cool things like the, like the 70 shag carpet and all that. We really, I want to keep the green shag carpet. Charity says no. So I'm in there working on the shag carpet. But part of the, the idea of this is that as Charity and I buy this house, and we take up residence inside the house, as time goes on and we continue to work on the house, the house is going to start taking up our identity. If you were to walk into the house currently, it has the identity of the previous resident. You can see the taste that they had for decor. You can see the things that they liked. But as Charity and I live in that house, over time, we're going to do work to the house. We're going to change the paint, and we're going to put different flooring in. And as we do those things, that house is going to start to reflect our personality. It's going to start reflecting our identity. And that's exactly what this passage is saying. When Christ takes up residence inside of our hearts, we're allowing him to start to change our life. It's not an instantaneous change. Over time, he works on our hearts, and we start to reflect his nature. We start to reflect his character. He starts to put a fresh coat of paint on our inside. He starts to fix the broken things. And sooner or later, we start to resemble him. You will notice that Christ takes up residence when we put our faith in him. And here's the thing we have to understand. Everyone has faith. The question is, where are you putting your faith? Or in whom are you putting your faith? When you put your faith in Christ, he takes up residence in your heart and he starts to change you. The third thing I want you to see is this. Because of the gospel message, we can be rooted and grounded in love. Verse 17, starting there, says this, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, and the height, and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Look at some of the key wording here. The prayer is not that people would love Christ more, but that they would know the love of Christ more. The prayer isn't that we would just experience Christ's love intellectually, but we would grasp every dimension of Christ's love in our experience. Just as you cannot earn salvation through good works, you will never love Christ more by just trying harder. You will only love Christ more by experiencing his love. Have you ever met a person the first time you met them, you just didn't like them at all, but as you got to know them more, you kind of, they kind of grew on you a little bit? Yeah? I'll tell you who was like that for me. This is going to surprise you. My wife, okay? Charity and I, there's a true story. She's standing in the back, and you guys are laughing because you think I'm kidding. I'm not. Okay? When we first met each other, we really did not like each other. Obviously, a few things have changed over the years, but... Our first assessment of each other was not very good. We would fight. We'd argue. We, we didn't like each other. Our personalities clashed. And then one day we had a conversation, and our experience of each other changed after that. I learned who she really was, and I fell in love with that woman, the same, and I wanted to live with her for the rest of my life. And that's the same thing that Christ does with us. We were at odds with him. But it just takes one encounter with him for us want to change our hearts and our lives. And we want to experience him every single day. 
And when we experience him, the reality of that experience causes us to want to fall in love with him more every single day. That's what the gospel does to our life. It makes us want to be in relationship with our creator. I want to close with this if the worship team will come back. The result of this prayer and the mystery of the gospel is that we would know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge and that we would be full of the fullness of God. Like, this almost sounds redundant. How do you, how do you get full of a God who's just exponentially bigger than anything we can imagine? Well, verse 20 tells us this. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we could ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Paul's desire would be that people would completely know and experience and comprehend the love Christ has for them both mentally and spiritually. Notice that Paul said that we can only understand this love with the saints, meaning that the full comprehension of this love can only happen when we're a community of believers. To truly understand the work of Christ, you have to be in a community of believers. That's why we say welcome to the family. But maybe today you need to experience this love. You see, for three chapters In this book, Paul's been trying to get people to see how crazy and unbelievable the gospel message could be to them. He wanted them to experience the love of God. See, Paul knew what these people had gone through. He knew his audience, and people haven't changed. See, Paul, when he was writing this to the people in Ephesus, He knew that they had experienced the sting of sin in their life. They knew what divorce felt like. They knew what losing a loved one felt like. They knew what depression and pain felt like. They knew what the punishment of sin felt like. But what they needed to know and to experience is what the depths of God's love felt like. The height, the depth, the width, the full dimension of God's love, they needed to experience that. They needed to experience a love from God of a God who would leave heaven, come to earth on a rescue mission for humanity. This love takes away the sting of death. It's what heals our hearts. It's what saves our soul. It's what gives us hope. Now, for a lot of us, that sounds impossible. How can God take away the sting of loss in my heart? When I've lost so much in life, how can God take away that sting? How can God heal my shame? How can God give me hope when all I'm doing is facing hopeless situations? Some of us have experienced things so painful. How can God heal those areas of my life? How can God forgive me for what I've done? How God heals our hearts is a mystery to me. How God brings provision to our life is a mystery to me. How God forgives my sins is a mystery to me. But the gospel has always been a mystery. And we're not going to understand all that on the front end. You might not understand how God can save you and set you free. You might not understand how God can bring peace to your hearts in the middle of the wrecked moments. 
But Paul tells us that what sounds impossible for God is not impossible for him. He says in this passage, God can do more than we can possibly think or imagine. The resurrection itself is mysterious to us. How can God raise from the dead? How can Jesus raise from the dead? Because God can do more than we can ever imagine. And if God can raise Jesus from the dead, then he can heal our hearts, and he can give us peace, and he can give us hope. That was Paul's prayer for these believers, is that they would experience the love of God. Today, you might need the love of God in your own life. If Easter teaches us anything, it's that Christ can do anything. God is always working in his mighty power. No one could have imagined a cross in an empty tomb. But maybe you can't imagine your life put together. But with Christ, all things are possible. If you would, please stand with me this morning. As you stand, I want to invite you to close your eyes and bow your heads. I just want to talk to you for just a moment. This is just a time between you and the Lord. Today, I felt burdened just to tell you the good news of Jesus. I didn't feel burdened to come entertain you. I didn't feel burdened to tell you how to find help financially. I didn't tell you burdened how to fix your marriage. I didn't feel burdened how to tell you how to raise your kids. What I felt burdened was to tell you the good news of Jesus. I told you in the beginning, I don't want to give you my words today. I want to give you the word of God. And the question that every single one of us then have to answer is, what do I do with those words? The gospel, mission, the gospel message is a mystery for so many of us, and perhaps it's mysterious to you today. You're here, and you're in a place in your own life where life feels like it's in chaos, it's in shambles. I'm sure for the disciples on that first Easter weekend, that's how they felt. The man that they had loved and followed for the last three years, they just watched brutally beaten, murdered, and hanging on a cross. They laid him in a tomb, and they rolled a big stone in front of him. On that first Easter morning, they were struggling, trying to find what are the answers. Life is in chaos. But then the news and the word came to them. Jesus is alive. And the fact that he was alive changed everything for them going forward. And today, I want you to know the fact that Jesus is alive can change everything for you.